You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Racing App, in partnership with FitzDares. Good morning. Thank you for listening to the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Charlotte Greenway Infinite today, Thursday the 15th of February. Shortly, I'll be joined by Jay Mangan and we'll hear from Anthony Honeyball, who has three big chances this weekend at Haydock and Ascot and hopes conditions will play into their hands. Also, Simon Sweeting is along to discuss the announcement that the High Value Developmental Race Initiative will continue this year on the flat on a larger scale. And Laura King brings us the latest from Dubai. However, first, we must start with the sad news that yesterday morning, Maureen Mullins passed away following a short illness. Mother to Sandra, Willie, George, Tony and Tom, someone who knew Maureen well and knows the family very well is Ted Walsh, who's with me now. Ted, from what I've read in all the articles over the last 24 hours, it's pretty clear that she was a remarkable lady. She was indeed. I knew her all my life, from well as all my life, from the time I was 10 or 12, going racing with my own parents. She was about around their generation. And uh, she was always, as I said, Mrs. Mullins to me for many, many years until I got older. Then she became Maureen. But uh, I knew her well and uh, was a great admirer of her husband's. And she was very much part of the whole success story of the Mullinses, uh, being a, a, a great partner to Paddy in life, and then the mother of all the others, and grandmother. And uh, she was a great woman. She was always there for the good days, but she was more importantly around for the not-so-good days. And she was very much part of the success story of the Mullins dynasty. Uh, she knew the game or the sport, or whatever you want to call it, inside out. She knew the pitfalls and the good days and the bad days, and she enjoyed them all. And uh, she was a remarkable woman. And uh, she was sort of, if you could say it, the face, the female face of Irish racing anyway. Uh, Everyone knew Maureen Mullins. And uh, she had a great life. She had a great partner in Paddy and saw him become a truly world-class trainer, both on the flat and over jumps. And uh, she... uh, then, of course, Willie and the rest of the family as well, all the success they had. And uh, she was sort of just she was a remarkable woman. She had a great life now and she lived it to the full. And uh, it's always sad to see somebody go. But uh, she definitely, if, if, everyone, if everyone else got as good a run at the thing as she did, uh, you'd have no complaints. And you mentioned the the dynasty that she's left behind. It's It's amazing what she did as a... Well, herself as an owner, a breeder, you mentioned the support to her late husband, Paddy, but, and now through her sort of gr- children and gr- grandchildren, she must have been incredibly proud. Oh, sure. Well, why wouldn't you be? Could you just imagine if, you, if any one of them uh, were as successful as all of them have been, right through from uh, Patrick now, our grandson, and her other grandsons, Charlie, and I can't think of all their names now, along the line, and her, 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 her own sons and... Ah, she had just, you could just keep on rattling them out one after the other. I mean, Willie is on the verge of training 100 winners at the Shelton Festival, let alone how often he's been champion. Uh, Patrick has been champion amateur so many times we've lost count. And uh, uh, Tony himself was champion jockey and rode the great bear uh, Don Run. And uh, 
she was there for those times as well too when it must have been awkward uh, for both Paddy and herself to see Mrs Hill uh, want to change and take an off Tony uh, to put on John Joe and that can't have been easy but yet she was there side by side with him and steered the ship through you could say muddy waters for a while it sounds like she was very diplomatic as well and um, oh, very yeah great diplomatic she had a great success as a breeder and a great knowledge of, of the sport she also I remember going to America when uh, the good mare she had with Paddy won at, at Julian Grounds at Grable and that's a long long time ago and then of course uh, Hurry Harriet win the champion stakes beating Ale France I mean some people might forget that but they were huge moments uh, in racing and in particular in the, in the Mullins household and she was there for it all and very much part of it all Lovely words from Ted Walsh there and we are very much thinking of all of Maureen's family at this difficult time Jane Mangan is now alongside me and Jane a very special lady who no doubt will be remembered for a very very long time Absolutely. Uh, when you have or justify having a family tree in the uh, industry paper, that that tells you the legacy that you have left behind. Um, look, I was an admirer of Maureen Mullins from from as long as I can remember going to the races. But it's it's, it's interesting reading the words of Ted Walsh, who who grew up with her. Um, she was the same age as his parents, and I'll tell you that she's in the game almost seven eight decades um what i found most remarkable about maureen mullins was um when her husband the late great paddy mullins died in 2010 you wonder how some people will react to that and a lot of um partners you know they they fade or they go into the background and you you see less of them i i would argue when when paddy mullins passed maureen had got out more and was more vivacious and was was more present at all of the race meetings and that's not only a credit to her to continue persevering living life to the fullest but also a credit to her family who you know just love getting her out and, and having her with them at the races and we see we see so many pictures shared last night and so many wonderful memories shared uh following the news of her passing from from her family and she, she like famous stories of her turning up at the Cheltenham Festival or Ascot and her family not realising she was coming. She just decided herself that she would come. And that was in her 80s and 90s. So and a, a, a remarkable woman who saw so much. We'll all remember the stories of Dawn Run and Mrs. Hill uh, on to when Duvan came into the yard in Clasutton and she said, that's the best horse I've seen in here in a very long time. Um, she... Look, she was an she was an ever present figure right up until January of this year, right up until a couple of weeks ago when she cut the ribbon at the launch of the new facilities at Goran Park, her local track, the track where she rode her only race. And look, I, I suppose for her family, this is no matter the age of the person who passes, this is always going to be tough. Um, but they can take comfort in the fact that Maureen Mullins lived a very full life. You can have. 94 years or you can have 54 years but it's all about filling the years and uh, I think Maureen Mullins is an example to everyone she um, she got out there till the very end she was with it till the very end and she enjoyed it to the very end and I, I loved reading today that she had a bet on her grandson Charlie in the bumper in Thurless yesterday um, that's, that's the way we all want to go 
Jane, just sticking in Ireland before we turn our attention to the racing in Britain this weekend, is there anything that particularly catches your eye? If she is declared line true lady, is in the Red Mills hurdle. She was very impressive in her maiden hurdle last year. And I know Henry de Bromhead and the team down there in Clonine think the world of her. Once race, so the sort of stepping into the deep end possibly. But yeah, as you say, it probably shows what they think of her at home. Yeah, I think they have, uh, their hands are tied. She She was due to come back earlier in the year. She missed a number of engagements. She isn't a novice over hurdles. Time is running out. She actually beat Silent Approach by 14 lengths at Goran Park. Silent Approach, we know, is a grade two uh, winning chaser. But t- to be fair, Henry has given this mare an entry in the mare's hurdle off the back of one run. So I don't need to tell you that's quite the compliment. Now turning our attentions to the racing in Britain this weekend. And I saw the trainer, Anthony Honeyball, had a whole host of entries on Saturday at Haydock and Ascot. And Anthony joins me on the line now. Anthony, the 10 o'clock deadline for Saturday's racing has just passed. So who have you got running and where? Right. Uh, yeah, just, yeah, like you say, just just got organised. Um, I think, well, we've got at Haydock, we've got Coquelico in the Mayor's listed listed hurdle. Um, bit of a debate whether to go for the Potemps with her over three or stick to get the Mayor's event, listed Mayor's event. So being that it's heavy ground, we've gone there with, with her. Um, she should have a, you know, a very solid chance um you wear it well not sure how they price it up but you wear you wear it well we'll, we'll probably be favorite there and we, we should be sort of thereabouts anyway have a nice chance with her she can't handles the ground well um we've got credo in the grand national trial she's run really well up at um haydock on well a few occasions this season in, in decent races um and she obviously wraps fourth in the classic chase at warwick last time out she's been a real star for us this season um run really good races um won won a nice race first time out at wing canton and then as i say she's she's run well in all those big handicaps that she's running um i think twice at haydock and, and once in the classic chase so um we managed to get five weeks break into her from from that last run at warwick um so i'm hopeful she'll be on song and um can go close and that should cope with the ground and she obviously copes with the course and distance and just on her, she must be a real yard favourite because I was looking through her form. She's been out of the four once and she was finished fit, and she only finished fifth that day. So uh, yeah. she's ultra consistent. Yeah, l- lovely mare. She's actually not. I mean, she's 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 a very um, she's quite a dinky. So it's not not overly big um, big mare, but um, she's uh, she just took to chasing really well. We couldn't really work out why we didn't win more um, hurdle races with her. We really struggled to win really struggled to win a hurdle race with her at all to be honest but um she she um yeah she as soon as we scored her over fences she was always gonna have a go at fences but we just couldn't believe quite how good she was and she she puts a lot of the big big scopey geldings to to shame really because she she sort of stands off further than them schooling at home and you know just her brain is she's very brave and yeah got more scope than some of the geldings um yeah she's she's been a star this season and it'll be hard work, no doubt, at Haydock on Saturday. We've seen the Grand National Trial run many times as a bit of a slog. Is that the kind of test that will suit her? Well, I think it's, yeah, I think it should all be fine. Um, I suppose accumulation of tough races this season um, could could um, could catch up with her, but she seems fine at the minute. So, um, yeah, I don't think it'd be any excuse. I think she she'd handle the ground. Um, as I say, she, we know she's good over the course and distance. So, 
and obviously she has today. We've always thought she is all about stamina. The more we've run her, the more we've come to realise she is all about stamina. She will generally she travels and jumps very economically, so that should help her get through this race um, and be there at the business end. So yeah, we're very hopeful with her. Um, we've got and say at Ascot, we've got Kilbeg King and the um, Reynolds Down Novice Chase as well. And he must be one you're looking forward to because his run in the Corto Star last time was looked far and above his best run to date. He's obviously very unexposed. He's not run many times. Do you do you think he was flattered at all that day by coming off the pace, or was that the sort of performance you've always oh, known he was capable of? Yeah, um, yeah. I think we always planned just to drop drop in, um, go down, go around the inner, drop in, and, and sort of pick up. I suppose pick up the pieces a little bit, but um, yeah, he. I think everything was kind of always geared towards that race for him. All right, we would have liked to have gone there. Um, we'd like to have gone there being favourite or something like that. But we, we sort of went there a little bit on the back foot, but we still sort of felt we'd be brave enough to have a go at it. And he was geared up. He he did take two runs to get fit. Um, he's a really big, burly horse, and he, he really needed those first two runs. Um, so it was all geared towards running well in that quarto style. We obviously would have liked to have gone there, like I say, a little bit more um, of a, of a favourite. But... Um, yeah, he it, it didn't surprise us really that he showed up so well, and I think um, they did go a good old lick early on. So he sort of had to stay out the firing line a little bit. But um, there were certainly two that all, sort of found it all a bit too hot quite early on. And he was the one that um, yeah he managed to. I mean, Hermes Allen and the French horse really um, went at it, and um, we managed to pick up. I did think turning in for about five seconds, I thought we might win. And then the next five seconds, I thought, well, we, we, we might be second here. And to be fair, Hermes Allen really stuck to the task well to hold us off. Um, but uh, we made a little bit of a mistake at the last. But, um, yeah, I think that gives him a yeah, real good um, shout on Saturday in the Reynolds Town, that run. And ground-wise, Ascot seemed to have escaped the rain that the rest of the country seems to have seen. It's currently good to soft there. Will that suit him? Um, yeah, yeah, it'd be, it'd be perfect to be quite honest. And obviously, he's run well around Pantistan over hurdles a little bit, but you know, right-handed undulating, and I think that that will suit. I mean, the Reynolds Down really does suit him well. I think the setup of that um, always takes a bit of jumping, Ascot, but he's got the experience now. Um, so we're sort of we're, we're, we're sort of everything's primed and ready for for Ascot. So we just hope he, you know, hope he goes goes very close there. Um, I mean, he's obviously in the national hunt chase at the, mm. the the festival, which would be. We're just hoping that everything goes right on Saturday, and then we can look forward to um, running him in the, the the race at Cheltenham. And so that's the preference because he's he's a lot shorter price for that than he is the Brown Advisor. I think he's about a fourteen to one chance. So that would yeah. be the idea, is it? Yeah, there was only eighteen. I think there was only eighteen left in there. So that's at this stage. Mm. So um, I just feel like we'd have to take a punt on the trip. I don't, don't, he, he's not. A, he doesn't race over keen or dinner. I mean, you'd have to have a go. Um, you'd have to have a go at it. I think um, if we'll bet, we just need things to go right. I mean, his Gold Cup kind of is at the minute is obviously the Reynolds Down, um, and then we're just um, hoping that we can um, look for. You know, if we can run well in that, we can look forward to the to the race at Cheltenham as well. That's what we'd hope, and then uh, potentially on to Punchestown again to finish the season. That's kind of how we're feeling at the minute, but. Um, Fingers crossed. Just with regards to Cheltenham, would you have a jockey in mind for him already, or is that something you'll sort nearer the time? Yeah, well, I, I haven't looked. I don't think. I, I think we should be able to get uh, Will Biddock for that for that race. Um, obviously, he'd he'd, be, he'd probably Paul Nichols would have first call on him for a race like that. But I don't. I, I don't think Paul's got anything left in there. So from what I can remember, so I, I think we were all clear probably to get Will Biddock for for him in that. 
well a more than able partner and uh yeah, yeah. well i hope it goes it goes well this weekend and we look forward to seeing him then at cheltenham yeah uh thanks very much anthony honeyball just talking about kilbeg king's cheltenham entries there and Jane, this week it became a little more clear where J.P. McManus was going to send his chasers, Corbett's Cross, the National Hunt chase, and Iroko. Looks like he'll go for the Turners. Probably the right decision, don't you think? Yeah, they're they're really, you know, making their plans good and early. Everybody knows where they're going. They've booked Derek O'Connor. Derek O'Connor, of course, rode uh, Corbett's Cross when he got brought down effectively last time at Fairy House. Um Look, we all know what happens. Corvus Cross in the in the Albert Barnett last year. He's he's going to go there with a red hot chance against uh, the favourite Embassy Gardens and Iroko. It'll just be great to see him back, and if he's going to the Turners. But I'm just such a big fan of Factofoil. Um, I'm really excited for the British fans to see him. Those who didn't travel to Dublin to see him, um, and when you see him in the flesh, he he is he's blow you away type horse uh, JP McManus has assembled such a depth of quality this year again talking about horses aside from the obvious everybody's going to be on Sergino for the for the triumph but wait and you see Marsborough in the in the paddock for the triumph he doesn't look like a triumph horse he looks like he should be running in the Arkle um, but he's from the Dublin Racing Festival he was the horse I'd take out of that juvenile hurdle um, so yeah it's exciting times four weeks to go Charlotte four weeks to go and just while we're sticking with Willie Mullins's Cheltenham Possibles there's been a lot of chat this week following the media day at his which way Bally Burns gonna go if he was yours where would you be running him? Supreme mm. absolutely no doubt about it I don't think there'd be any question in their mind if they didn't have mystical power um, he, he, you can look at his pedigree oh he's a brother to Noble and Derby's by Flemingsford this and that and the other but Ruby Walsh has been saying for years that it takes stamina to win the Supreme and that the Ballymore can often turn into a game of speed so um, yeah I, 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 I would, that's the way I would be leaning but they'll wait until the very last hour and make their decision but he's he's quite a Paul Townend was interesting post-race at Dublin Racing Festival. He said, this horse isn't as keen as he looks. It's just the way he carries his head down. So that will give them that will give them options if they want to go up to the intermediate distance that he isn't a tear away like a dice or dynamo or he's not unmanageable. So, yeah, I think for me, he's the best novice hurdler over here um, and I hope he proves it. Okay, Jane, the news we got last week was that Milton Harris was going to appeal the BHA's decision not to grant him a licence on safeguarding grounds, but it appears he's done a U-turn. What's going on here? Yeah, so we learned yesterday um, that Milton Harris has withdrawn his appeal. Uh, The BHA confirmed that. Just a little backtrack. Uh, Milton Harris had his licence suspended last November and it was withdrawn by the BHA in January um, after being ruled that he was not a fit and proper person to hold a training licence. He was looked set to appeal. He has subsequently withdrawn that appeal and that's probably um, the, the, the latest. I don't know if there's another chapter to this story, but that's what, uh, what, that's what came out in the wash yesterday. And Jane, more news from the BHA yesterday, this time regarding jockey Dylan Kitts, who I'm sure many of the listeners will know exactly who he is. But for those who don't, just give us a bit of background on this case and what's going on now. Yeah, so Dylan rode Hilson in in Worcester of July of last year for Chris Honor in a two and a half mile conditional riders. 
handicap hurdle where he finished third, just beaten over a length. It was a ride that caught the attention of the stewards. Um, the horse had opened at seven to one in the morning and uh, was at one point he was two to one favourite before drifting back out to eleven to one. So I'd imagine that trend also caught the eye of the stewards. Uh, it looked like he was tenderly handled in the home straight and uh, subsequently we know the horse got a a 40-day ban and Dylan Kitts himself was referred to the BHA stewards. Um, Subsequently, we have learned that Dylan has been handed a ban from racecourses, stables and all licensed premises after being served by the BHA yesterday for failing to cooperate with their investigation. So it looks like we're going from the frying pan into the fire for Dylan Kitts. Now from the bad news to the good news from the BHA as today they've announced that the high value developmental races that were brought into the British Flat Programme last year for the first time have been extended and Chairman of British Stallion Studs EBF Simon Sweeting joins me on the line now. Simon, EBF are on board with this initiative for the first time this year so just for anyone who doesn't know what it is just tell us about how it works and how many races this will encompass in 2024. Morning, Charlotte, and, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah, it, it's a it's a really exciting project. There's going to be well, there's there's considered to be that or we think that British racing is falling behind in the prize money in the development races area. So, um, novice and maiden races. We've we're joining a scheme this year that was started last year. There's going to be. 84 races with a total prize money of near enough three and a half million uh, for regular maiden and novice races run for a minimum of 40,000 and restricted novice and maiden races run for a minimum of 30,000. So, for example, the first one is going to be the 28th of May. The Brockles will be run at the start of the British turf season up in Doncaster and that will have a value of £40,000, which is a really exciting start. And so what's the aim of this initiative? Obviously, you're targeting mainly two-year-olds. What's the hope? Yes, two-year-olds. There are some three-year-old races, but but the aim is by putting a lot of money into the development races for the early part of horses' careers, that it'll be a boost for the breeding industry and encourage people to purchase horses um, and, and start their racing careers in the UK. Um, and if if they know that there is good prize money on offer when when uh, they have their horses here, then hopefully that's going to encourage and, and help the sales and help the breeding industry at the same time. So is this an initiative that the EBF saw last year and thought, it's a great idea, this is something we need to get behind because they've got the right idea? Yes, it was, it was clearly a very good idea. It was started off by Judd Montendali with the help of the BHA, um, we certainly wanted to be involved because we thought it was the sort of thing that the, the EBF, um, the British Stallion Studs money, would, would would be useful to encourage. Tassels have also joined in, and we've also got to thank the BHA and the Levy Board for their support from the Development Fund. So, sure, it, it, it's a great it's a great initiative, and it can surely only help uh, the British breeding industry and, and racing industry. And Simon, just for anyone who's listening and thinks, well, that sounds a pretty tasty pot for, for someone who's got a two-year-old in training or a trainer, um, where can they find a list of these races? 
There's going to be a, a full list of the races today. It'll be downloaded on the EBF website from 11 o'clock this morning. So just go to ebfstallions.com, head to the news section, and it's all up there. The races are spread out through the year across uh, a range of different courses. As I say, some open novice um, maidens and some restricted novice maidens, some for two-year-olds, well, 60 for two-year-olds and 24 for three-year-olds. Well, Simon, thank you very much for your time this morning. And I hope I've not taken you away from what I know must be a pretty busy period for you with all the coverings and the foaling is all going well. We've had a good start. Thank you very much. It's, it's great to have a, um, some good news to, to pass on as a bit of light relief. Okay, it's Thursday, so it's time for an update on the racing from Dubai. And managing editor of World Horse Racing, Laura King, is with me. Laura, an eight race card at Maidan tomorrow. Who are you looking forward to seeing? Yeah, we've got nine, actually. Don't forget the Arabians in the opener, but it's a really competitive card. I think we've got five max maximum field races. We've got oversubscribed races. People are desperate to get a piece of the action. And our feature is the Lord Glitters Handicap. I love that they've named a race after Lord Glitters. And this is really interesting. We've got Jamie Osborne, who's got a big weekend coming up in the Middle East. He's got Uzo in here, aiming to build on his win last time. And then we've got a runner from Denmark in good fortune, a former carnival winner. We've got one for Ian Williams in silent film. A couple for George Bowie, Naxos and all the King's men. It is a very, very competitive race. I wouldn't want to have a strong view in any direction in that one. So we're going to have no help in that at all if you had to put a bet on even each way. Where are you going? <laughs> oh, it's very tricky. Hey, look, you know, Godolphin have been very strong on, on, on the turf so far this season. They will be hard to beat again. High bank goes in there for, for Charlie Appleby. But the one I think is quite interesting, he was pulled out of the stalls last time. Laser guided for Simon and Ed, Ed Crisford could be an interesting one off a nice low weight in that race. Yes, right down the bottom. And you mentioned Jamie Osborne there, who's got a big runner in Qatar this weekend in Emirati Anna. And just before this call, you were saying to me how Dubai has been a, become a major hub for these horses travelling to the big meetings in the Middle East, whether it's Qatar, Bahrain or Saudi. Why has this come about? This has been really interesting this season. What they did in Dubai is they reframed the whole of the Dubai Racing Carnival so that it actually starts in November. So you can bring horses to run there for great prize money from November onwards right through into the Dubai World Cup, which a few trainers did. They they were there from, from December, which was great. And the idea is you base your horses in Dubai. It's a lovely place to be, great facilities, and you run them in Bahrain, Qatar, Saudi. So several trainers have, have done that, including the aforementioned Jamie Osborne, who's got Emiratiana, as you say, going in that duck and sprint. Charlie Appleby also heads over to Doha this weekend with Mischief Magic in the same race. And then we've got a Breeders' Cup winner, no less Rebels Romance, going in the the big race of all the the Amir's Trophy. So it's great to see that people have been making making use of the facilities at Maidan and travelling their horses elsewhere in the region. And then going ahead to the Saudi Cup, there's plenty more doing it as well. So it's been, been good that the initiative's been well supported. And just of the horses that you've seen a bit of in Maidan this winter and are heading to Qatar this weekend, do any of them stand out to you as having a sort of a, a real chance? I think I already mentioned Rebels Romance. I think he's he's absolutely fascinating in here. They, they had a few different options with him and they've they've gone for this one. He could, of course, have run him in, in Dubai and he probably will still run him at the 
at the Dubai World Cup meeting. And, and don't rule out Emirates Yana either. I mean, he's a Group 1 winner. For some reason, he absolutely hates Dubai and always runs well below his best form there. So maybe he could pop up uh, over there in that duck and sprint. Um, it's certainly interesting racing over there this weekend. Finally, looking ahead to next weekend and to the Saudi Cup, I've seen the international contenders are beginning to land in Saudi. Do you know when the horses from Dubai will be travelling over? I assume they can leave it a little bit later. I think they go a little bit later, some point uh, next week, and it's a really interesting travelling contingent from from Dubai because uh, Isolate, who won last year's Godolphin Mile, gets into the big one, the $20 million Saudi company. He'll only be a second runner in Saudi for, for champion trainer Doug Watson. So he's a particularly exciting one from a local view. And then, of course, we've got the UAE Derby winner, Derma Sotagaki, and the Dubai World Cup winner from last year, Ushba Tassour, all clashing in that same race, which is is absolutely fantastic. And it, it really is brilliant stuff next week. And it's, it's great that we have got such a strong contingent from Dubai heading over. Another one... I should mention, is Oasis Boy, who runs in the, the Saudi derby. And he's a, a really interesting horse for, for trainer uh, Julio Olahoa. So looking forward to seeing how they get on. It's been quite tough for the Dubai horses in Saudi so far. There's a strong team going this year. Yeah, Dermas Otagake seems to be a horse that, having when I watched him win in Dubai, kind of fell in love with him. And he just seems to have been a little bit unlucky since. It would be great to see him go in again. He's an awesome horse. What he did in the Breeders' Cup, finishing second at the White Barrio, off that layoff. Having missed his prep was, was fantastic. I think he's a serious player in the Saudi Cup. And then he heads the Dubai World Cup as well, all being well. Well, Jane, all that's left is a tip. And I know you're heading to Clonmel today. So is that where we're getting your tip from as well? I am. I'm, I'm actually going good and early. So it's just as well we're recording early because my tip is, is Lep Around in the Maiden Hurdle, the first race. Um, Lep Around is trained by Marie Harding, a small point-of-point handler down here, but a big sales consigner. Anybody at the sales will know her Glen Stables consignment. Uh, this mare won a point-of-point very well, and uh, I thought it was an insuffic- insufficient stamina test for her at Limerick last time. Considering, as I said, it has not stopped raining over here, I think she will be one that will love the slow motion conditions at Clonmel today. And uh, thankfully it has passed inspection, so we'll go with Lep Around in the first. But the 220, Charlotte's always an interesting race. And some people would be looking at this and be like, oh, it's four runners. Effectively, Sarah Beira, horse four, is running for black type. So it's kind of a three horse race. And is it really much? Well, it never actually attracts a big field. Last year, it attracted five runners. Monty Starr won it. He beat Hidden Valley Lake, who we saw win the Boyne Hurdle last week. And Search for Glory was third. Search for Glory now reopposes, still in in the race as a novice. But it's it's always going to be remembered as the race that in 2019, Alaho and Ruby Walsh beat Manila Indo and Rachel Blackmore. And Alaho went off favourite for the Albert Bartlett, only to be beaten by a 33 to 1 shot or 40 to 1 shot, Manila Indo. Um, so yeah, this this can actually be a very interesting race and can point towards the festival. There's a horse called Harvard Guy in here who's won three on the bounce. He began winning off 109. He's an official rating today of 142. So Harvard Guy, where will the ceiling lie? 
Yeah, I think the step up to three miles is really going to suit him, isn't it? Because he was staying on late last time and, and got up late. Uh, but he hasn't got any entries at the Cheltenham Festival. They might have to supplement him for something like the Albert Bartlett. Yeah, I think time will tell. Any any horse that runs today is going to get a very hard race, so it depends on what kind of a war of attrition it transpires to be. But uh, it can it can be a very interesting race despite its small field, and I am looking forward to going there. And I'd say if the jockeys take their time, we should have a good afternoon. Well, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that one. Jane, thanks for everything today. Thanks to all my guests. Thanks to Ted, to Anthony, to Simon and to Laura. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. Have a great afternoon. Goodbye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you by Timeform, the trusted source of racing data and analysis, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the racing app in partnership with Fitstairs.